When the art day gets rough, you just gotta keep on punching. And here's your Thunder Punch Daily with Jersey Drozd. Skyfire or Jetfire. I have zero interest in navigating that part. We're talking about the big jet who was an Autobot, the first big Autobot jet. I call him Skyfire. As long as we all know what we're talking about, what difference does it make, right? We don't have to get too persnickety on this. Um, I love Skyfire. Uh, let's see. Let's look at how I engaged with him as a young person. Skyfire was the first character that I remember suggesting that there was life before the Autobot and Decepticon War. You know, we start the series and they're at war. One of the first things Optimus Prime says when we first meet him is nobody's going to win this war unless we find more energy, right? Um, suggesting that this has been going on for eons. Now, we have Victor Caroli's narration suggesting that they were, the Autobots were peace-loving and the Decepticons were brutal, but we didn't know what life was like before that. Skyfire shows up, and we find out that there was... There was these robots, these Transformers, had endeavors before the Civil War started. And these, these endeavors transcended the difference that now exists between the Autobots and Decepticons. Now, I would never put it that way when I was 11 years old. But the, that thought excited me when I was watching the show. So when we first meet Skyfire, he is, it's, what is the episode, Fire in the, Fire in the Sky? And uh, the Decepticons are digging in the Arctic to find something, and they find this robot frozen in the ice. And Starscream gets very excited, and he, they're, they're trying to resuscitate this robot. And uh, when Megatron notices how intense Starscream's being about this, He's like, what, what's the big deal? Why, why are you so upset about this guy? And Starscream's like, I knew him a long time ago on Cybertron. Now, Starscream doesn't say we were friends. He says, Starscream, or he says, Skyfire and I were both explorers from Cybertron. And Megatron says, oh, that must have been shortly before our final falling out with the Autobots. He says, yes, Sky, Skyfire and I were exploring what was an uncharted planet at that time, this planet, Earth. So, we learned a couple things here. One, we learned that Starscream had comrades. Like, remember, we talked about this with the Starscream entry uh, some, some days ago. Um, he's the one guy in the Decepticon army who d doesn't have any... Um, there's, nobody agrees with him. He's the one... Um, well, he, he's the one dissenting opinion in the army. Everybody says Megatron's great, Megatron's awesome, he's too powerful, he can't be beaten. Starscream's like, well, I'll find a way to beat him. Nobody says, like, yeah, you know what? Starscream's onto something here. He's got zero friends. He is alone in this army of people who all worship this guy, Megatron, right? And we find out that Starscream once had, if not a, a friend, at least a comrade, a, a, a colleague. And we find out that Starscream was a scientist before he was a warrior because he and Skyfire were exploring scientists. Uh, and Skyfire wakes up and... We, we get to see, I wouldn't say a gentler side of Starscream, but we get to see a, like a less, uh, I guess a, a, a less intense and less screamy kind of Starscream as he's welcoming his former comrade back. And, uh, and even like, 
I would say there's a scene where we get to hear like a little bit of enthusiasm in Starscream's voice because um, Megatron informs Skyfire upon his waking up. He's like, well, you know, we're the Decepticons now. We're at war with the Autobots now. I'll just bring you up to speed. Um, and you're one of us. So join the wonderful Decepticon army and put him on guard patrol. And, and uh, as Skyfire goes off to guard patrol, he asks Starscream, he's like, are you happier being a warrior than a scientist? And Starscream turns and he's like, yeah, this is great. It's much more exciting. And one day I'm going to be in charge and you could be my second in command. You get to hear, like, it almost sounds like, it almost sounds like the enthusiasm of friendship. You never know with Starscream. But, but Skyfire says, you know, like, I'm, I'm grateful to you for saving me, so I'll try to bring you credit. You know, he did, when Starscream says, one day I'll lead, when Skyfire responds, I'll try to bring you credit, what he's saying is he doesn't pick up on the fact that Starscream's talking about mutiny. <laughs> he's saying, oh, yeah, someday you'll be promoted. <laughs> and I'll try to, like, do right by you so that you get promoted properly. So we already know that Skyfire doesn't belong here. He is not a conniving, backstabbing um, weasel-like Starscream. But he doesn't know that yet. Uh, well, he doesn't know that Starscream is that way yet, you know. Um, so in, throughout the episode, we find out that he is a gentle person. And he says, my function is to further science and learning, not to destroy innocent life forms. I do. I love this aspect of the Transformers. And I know this is what appealed to me as a child, too, is this idea of, Oh, they, they, they know what they're supposed to do. They have a primary function. Their function is this. This is what they do. And even though when I was 11 years old, I knew I wanted to be a cartoonist. I knew I wanted to make comics for the rest of my life. I was gripped by it. What does that even mean when you're 11 years old? You don't know what, how to do it. You don't know, like, I mean, I know that Marvel Comics and DC Comics are in New York City or were back then. But outside of that, I had no idea what it meant to be a comic book artist. I had no idea what the day looked like. I had no idea how you achieve that. What's the journey to doing that? And then even when you've gotten there, what does it even call for? I know it's drawing. I know that much. But the idea is vague. It's, it's, uh, there's no context for it when you're that young. And also, just the idea of being able to make decisions and knowing the difference between right and wrong is so confusing when you're that age. So along comes this fantasy story with these characters who all have a pre-designed function. This is what I do. I am a scientist. You know, uh, this is this is Jazz. He's the operations guy. This is Bumblebee. He's a spy. Wow, how comforting it must be to know what your function is and to have something to help you navigate difficult decisions. Like when Starscream tells Skyfire if after they capture some Autobots, okay, um, because of our old friendship, and this is the only time Starscream says friendship, he says, I shall be generous and you may have the pleasure of melting down these Autobots. And that's when Skyfire says, but I'm a scientist, not an executioner. And then Starscream says, I'm your superior. I order you to terminate them. And Skyfire says, I will not. They have done no wrong. Now, this is another powerful thing for, for me as a child. As I'm watching, I'm like, well, but Starscream does think they're wrong and he's got the more experience. So Skyfire, you should be deferring to your friend here because your friend has more experience. But Skyfire hasn't witnessed them doing any wrong. They have done no wrong by my reckoning. I didn't see it. So I can't act on it without the evidence. Why? I'm a scientist, you know? Uh, and to watch a character 
have like operate from an, uh, an internal principle without any feedback from anybody else, right? Like the Autobots didn't teach him this, the Decepticons didn't teach him this, he taught him this. What a cool thing to see in a character in a story. I mean, it's, it's a 22 minute cartoon that's advertising toys. And yes, there's a lot of fancy fighting in it. There's really not that much substance to the, to the story, but like that little bit like hung on, hung on me when I was a kid. So he's, he's this gentle guy who is more interested in learning. And later on, when they introduce his character again, after he gets buried in ice once more and then re-dug out, yeah, it's a funny bit of business. They didn't, I guess they weren't planning on bringing him back, but then they decided they needed him. Um, but when he comes back, he's a little bit more jolly, I would say, um, embracing the fact that, well, I guess I am, I have to be a warrior in this, but if I'm going to be a warrior, but I'm not going to be a grim tight-lipped warrior. I'm going to be a, a jovial, kind of happy, a happy warrior. Not happy about the fighting part, but happy about being amongst friends who are all striving for something. At least that's what I infer from that. But going back to Fire in the Sky before this, when he's more of like a quiet, introspective, gentle scientist character, um, yeah, I found, I found that to be a, a really appealing change of pace. Now, he also had a slightly different voice than the other characters. I've talked about like some of the older uh, gravelly-voiced characters in the series. Um, Skyfire is somewhere in between. He's not quite young guy voice. It's a mature voice, but it's a gentle voice. Greg Berger does such a good job creating this voice that has like character and experience in it, but also has like a, a, a sweetness to it. Um, like when he picks up Spike and Spark Plug, he's like, why are you so frightened? I won't harm you, you know? Um, and then I guess another thing I really like about it, and this comes from the, like the, this, this thing that happens, like, you know, I'm, I, was a, um, I was a pretty tall kid by high school, but I was always like on, on the lean side. But I had friends who were like big guys. And it's, it was interesting to watch the assumptions that come out of like the way people interacted with my big guy friends. Um, there's always an assumption that they were automatically tough. And a lot of the big guys I knew were super gentle people who were just not interested in being on the football team or being a bruiser of any kind or picking fights. A lot of them were like super creative people who just wanted to be left alone so they could draw or paint. Or in the case of one of my friends, he, he really wanted to be um, a special effects artist. So like his passion was staying at home, listening to Metallica and, and creating latex scars. <laughs> You know, it's like he had no interest in being like a, a heavy, you know? So like when I met these guys, I would always think like, yeah, they're a lot like Skyfire, you know? Skyfire, like Megatron looks at him, he's like, well, with his size and probable strength, he'll make an excellent Decepticon. Let's put him to work beating people up, you know? But he doesn't want to do that. That's not, that's not what his interest is. And so, you know, uh, I like that aspect of Skyfire as well. He's the, 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 the gentle big guy who, uh, you know who operates out of a central principle, at least in Fire in the Sky. Um, and, and that principle comes from, you know, his own self-definition. I'm a scientist. I think that's, that's, that's a pretty powerful and really cool thing for young people to see. Uh, what do I think about his design? I mean, I also really enjoy the, the visual, like all the, up until this point, I would say most of the Transformers were based on Earth vehicles. He felt exotic because he didn't represent any kind of 
jet that we had seen so far in this area. He looked unique. He, well, apparently this was a Cybertronian form. And the design, I don't know if Floro Derry did it or not, but it, it, it echoes and it feels harmonious with the designs we got in the Transformers movie later on with Cup, Hot Rod, Blur, etc. Um, now, I know I've talked about, like, part of what made the first season of the series work so well for me was the fact that it was sort of like magic realism in that they turned into Earth vehicles that you could identify on the street at that time. There goes a Datsun. It looks just like Blue Streak, you know? Um, but at the time when I was experiencing the show, to see something that didn't look like that, to see something that had a Cybertronian mode like Shockwave, like a Skyfire, that was also exciting in its own way. Um, I like that he's mostly white. He's red, white, and blue, but he's mostly white, which just, again, adds to this sense of pacifism to him, for me. He, he reminds me of like an emergency vehicle, right? Like characters like First Aid and Ratchet, um, even though he's not. But like, there's like, you know, it, it, uh, it reminds one of that. So, and I guess if I were to say, is there anything else to say about Skyfire? Um, the fact that he was faced with a really difficult decision of turning on, on his friend, his friend who saved his life, right? Starscream dug him out. Um, you owe something to that guy for that. But yet, his principle was so strong. I know, I know I'm talking about a silly cartoon show that was, uh, that was advertising toys, but the writers cared about what they were doing. Um, but the, the fact that his principle was so strong that he was able to look a friend in the eye and say, nope, it's not going to happen. Um, to, to have that sense of boundary was something that I think, um, I don't think I was paying enough attention to it as a child, and I wish I would have. I wish I would have taken more of a lesson from that. Because um, I think that's also a really lovely thought to include in a children's show. If you're going to advertise to kids, at least give them something that's like worth chewing on for 35 years. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I think I'm done with Skyfire. Um, great character. Love him a lot. Um, it's too bad he only made it through, like, you know what, the first season and a half or so. Then we really don't see that much of him anymore. Oh, he was great in Ultimate Doom, too. Because, like, by the time he gets to Ultimate Doom, now he's kind of, like, full-on smiling, happy, jolly warrior. That's another thing entirely that I won't go into here. Maybe another time. But... I could, I could riff for probably like another 20 minutes on like what smiling heroes mean to me and why I love them so much. It's not just that it's like a friendly, joyful thing, but it, it represents something else about like not letting the evil get into you, right? Laughing it off, laughing in its face, but not in a defiant way, but in a joyful way. There's something, I guess, yeah, if I were to say one thing about, one closing thought about Skyfire is the way his characters are expressed toward the end of his run in the show is I would call like really, truly positive masculinity. Big, joyful, in full engagement with the world. So there we go, Skyfire. Okay, this is part of the Art Sound Off Challenge, artsoundoff.com, Art Sound Off hashtag on social media, where me and my buddy Rob Stenzinger challenge ourselves to check in over the month of November with an audio journal about our art and then share it online. You don't have to share it though. Uh, all the ways to play are at artsoundoff.com. My decision this year was to contemplate my art by thinking about a different Transformer every day over the month of November. Uh, because it's been, it, the, the series has had an impact and an influence on my work. 
sort of examining why, but it's also the lead up to the Four Million Years Later podcast, where at the starting in December, me and my buddy Hoover are going to check in once a week with an audio essay uh, examination of an individual Transformers episode in order, sort of a um, watch the series, then talk about the series. So you can find out more about it at 4millionyearslater.com. You can subscribe there if you haven't already. If you've been enjoying these essays, then you'll probably enjoy listening to us talk about the shows. We've recorded a couple episodes in preparation, and some of them are pretty lengthy and pretty <laughs> we go into we get into the weeds in some of these ones. And so if you if you like this, there's a lot more of it coming up. So I'll be back tomorrow with another Thunder Punch Daily. Until then, remember everybody. Being the most powerful man in the universe isn't all that makes He-Man such a great hero. Being strong is fine, but there's something even better. In today's story, He-Man used something even more powerful than his muscles to beat Skeletor. You know what it was? If you said his brain, you were right. And just like a muscle, your brain is something you can develop to give yourself great power.